You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 140. Well, hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard. And in this super fun special episode, you are going to hear from three of the top global PMO influencers of the year from 2021. You may or may not have heard that I was so honored to receive the top global influencer of the year for PMOs, the only award of its kind anywhere in the world, presented by the PMO Global Alliance at their annual PMO Global Awards Ceremony. It is an incredible experience. If you have not experienced yet, I definitely recommend you put that on your radar for 2022. To celebrate this award, I thought it would be fun to get together with the other PMO Global Influencer of the Year finalists and talk about what we see coming with PMOs. We're sharing our predictions for what you can expect more of and less of in 2022 and beyond for PMOs, as well as looking at the opportunities for you to make an even bigger impact with your PMO. You'll hear our best tips, and I hope you'll walk away inspired and energized about all the goodness that is happening with PMOs globally and your action plan for contributing even more value as a PMO leader. Okay, let's do this. Well, hey there, all of you PMO leaders out there. Welcome to a first of hopefully many episodes with PMO Global Alliance Award winners for 2021-2022. I am so excited to bring to you some top global influencers in the PMO space. And we decided it'd be kind of fun to celebrate this opportunity to honor PMOs globally by getting together and chatting a little bit about what we think is coming with PMOs for 2022 and how you as a PMO leader can get prepared to take full advantage of the endless possibilities available to you in the PMO space. So I have two top global influencers with us here today. I will allow them to introduce themselves and then we're gonna dive into some of the questions and interesting answers we have around where PMOs are headed and what the opportunities are for all of you. So Marisa, welcome. Thank you, Laura. Happy New Year. Thank you for organizing it as well. Uh, Lovely to be here to talk about PMOs, which is a topic I love too. So I'm Marisa Silva. I'm a senior consultant with Wellington. I do advisory consulting training as well on project management related topics. And a topic that is very dear to my heart is then PMOs. As a PMO activist, someone that advocates for the PMOs to be elevated, I'm also associated to be the PMO Global Alliance, so I'm part of the advisory board, and I was honored to receive an award, so being a finalist for Influencer of the Year, which was a surprise, but very happy as well with that recognition. That's pretty much it about me. 
Thank you. And congratulations to you for being one of the top global influencers. Bill, welcome, my yeah. longtime friend. It's good yeah, to see you thank online you. again. It's great to be here. Thank you. So Bill Dow, so 30 plus years of doing project and program management. To, I'm starting my 20th year of PMO. So 20 years doing 10, I've done 10 PMOs now across four companies. So I'm excited to be here and really sharing the stage with you guys and talking PMOs and talking about where we're going. And it's really nice to be recognized across the industry for all the work that we've done. So congratulations to both of you as well. Thank you. Congratulations, Bill. Great to have both of you here. I appreciate you saying yes to one of my crazy ideas, but I figured, you know, as top PMO PMO global influencers, I think we have a responsibility to not keep all of these things we're seeing coming secret, right? Because we have been doing this for a really long time and I resonate with all that as well. So I built my first PMO in 1999 and I had no idea what I was doing. No idea. I had a computer science degree and a techie background, but there was these people that were doing this stuff called project management. And those are the people that got everyone else together to make big things happen. And I was totally in. So I built my first PMO in 1999 and then spent 15 years inside organizations building PMOs before starting PMO strategies in 2013. So it's been a little while now. And I have certainly had my share, made my share of mistakes. In fact, most of what I teach now is because I kept finding myself saying to other PMO leaders before I started my company, gosh, I really wish I had me when I was you. Right. And that's really, I think what this whole session is all about is Gosh, when we were first starting to do this stuff, we didn't have all the things that people have now. And the scary thing is that because so much information is accessible, there's so much information that's confusing people, right? Like a lot of people are trying to Google their way to a PMO these days. And we are the ones that see the negative effects that can have because PMO leaders are confused and there's too much information and sending them all different directions. So we thought it'd be a good idea to come together and share with all of you, I call them impact drivers, all of you PMO impact drivers out there that are working really hard. We honor you, we respect you, we get you, we appreciate you, and we want to do everything that we can to help set you up for success. So I think that's really what this was about is how can we help you letting you know what we see coming, the trends that are coming and where the opportunities are for all of you. So thank you all for allowing me to bring us together to go do some good work for the PMO community. So with that said, since we are named top global influencers, we do have a few thoughts to share about where things have been and where they're headed. So if you don't mind, I'd like to just dive into a few yeah, questions. Yeah, great. Sound good? Okay. Yeah, perfect. Why don't we start with just like the most obvious? Let's just throw it all out there right up front. Where are PMOs headed? And this is kind of a two-part, really. So you could kind of answer one at a time or really just take the whole thing. Where are they headed? And really, where have they been and what's changing, right? So Marisa, how about you go first and share your thoughts there? Yes, I was just actually discussing with Bill just before we started about how everything is becoming hybrid nowadays, not just hybrid for the PMOs, but hybrid for work in general. And I think that's a trend that is going to continue to be much more emphasized as well, given that nowadays we are not just talking about doing face-to-face training or face-to-face consulting versus remote, but also about supporting hybrid methodologies, hybrid approaches to how we are delivering projects. So I see more and more PMOs either trying to get to that point or being more aware of the benefits of doing so, where we are mixing and matching, so I'm doing some project management bricolage, as I like to call it, 
and then also how this is reflected on the teams that are being supported, because it also brings additional challenges to the PMOs that require much more, perhaps, capabilities to upskill also their teams to deal with um, knowing what is right, what is the, the best fit for the right. type of work that is being supported. So I would say that's probably obvious, but nevertheless is one that I think we should all be paying attention to. Think about what we've been talking about for years and years, right? PMO leaders need to have a seat at the table. Right. They need to be, right now, that seat is a hybrid seat. That's a remote seat, <laughs> yes. right? Yeah. And so, I mean, I've been running my PMO here in this last one for two years or so, whatever we've been through the COVID, remotely. And so yeah. we have said, hey, and so PMOs, I'd answer it, they need to be ingrained into business functions. All those things we've been saying forever, right? Like mm -hmm. PMO leaders got to be as important as a finance leader, as an HR right. leader, right? Just one of those same things. But now with the hybrid approach, it's like, wow, you really have to earn that seat at the table in a remote environment. Mm -hmm. And that's a completely different skill set. Mm -hmm. And it will be tough if we were starting a new job and we we're starting to run a new PMO, doing it remotely in that hybrid world is just a whole new level of challenge that a lot of us have not done for years and years and years on right. one hand, right? But the right. other hand is we've had Y2K. And we all went to remote with Y2K, right? And so we were all deep in Y2K. So this isn't that new. What COVID did was blow it up. Yeah. But the Y2K, we were still a seat at the table, right? So it is an interesting dynamic that's going on right now. Mm -hmm. I love that we started here, right? Because, and the words you're using, Bill, I'm always telling PMO leaders, you must earn your seat at the table. And years ago, when I first started speaking on stages, and I was terrified, terrified, it was like in 2010 or something. And I remember PMO leader stood up in the audience when we were doing a panel and said, well, why don't they get what we do? And we belong at the table. And this is what we're, and it was just all this like me, 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 me. And, and this was again, like somewhere around 2010, I was like, uh-uh. Nope. That's when I was no longer nervous about being up on that stage and was like, hold on a second. Yeah. There is no, they should get us. There is no, that we should just have our seat at the table. It, to your point, Bill, it's something that you must earn. Yeah. And there are absolutely, and I'd love to dig into that a little when we get further along, there are absolutely things you can do to earn your seat at the table. 100%. And I think that there are incredible opportunities, right, for PMO leaders to earn that seat at the table, but it is not just given to us. And it's not until we stop being so inwardly, outputs focused. And it, once we shift our mindset to become more outcomes focused, our head up and out, we start thinking and acting like the other business leaders in the organization. That's when we can take our seat at the table because we've earned it yeah. because we are having different conversations. If you want your business leaders to take you seriously, then stop project speaking at them and start business speaking with them, right? Like, I think there's just a huge opportunity for us there. So I'm glad you touched on that because I think that's part of what I see is the trend that, I mean, in, in all honesty, we've been talking about for years, right? Like mm -hmm. this pivot from project administrator to business leader, there's a huge jump that has to happen in all of that. And I don't think a lot of PMO leaders have realized that opportunity yet. And that's why we're doing this, right? Like yeah. we want to help them go on that journey. Yeah, 100%. And it does add a new nuance because it's remote, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of that. So yeah. that just adds another twist to it. 
Right. Well, and that's the thing is if you weren't really good at influencing your business leaders in person, yeah, it's going to be a lot harder yep. when they don't have to take your Zoom call. Right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you can't just go knock on their door or hover outside their office or follow them from meeting to meeting. Yep. It's a lot harder for those that haven't made that transition to the business speak, right, for you to do it. And I think that's a real call to action to PMO leaders to that haven't yet made that pivot to be mm-hmm. more business-minded, business-focused. That's where they're either going to thrive or not be in the role anymore, right? Yep, yep. So talk about that a little bit more, if you guys wouldn't mind, because I think we've got a bunch of things to talk about here, but I think there's... This is a big one, right? Like this is really big. It's hybrids exacerbating, right? Mm-hmm. Or remote work, especially is exacerbating yep. a problem that was already there. So how do we help? What do we do? What do PMO leaders need to do to get a seat at the table? Like, it's like, we make it sound so easy, but it's probably not that easy. <laughs> so, I mean, you do have to deliver, right? There is that component yeah. of delivery. So you think about running X amount of projects and there is that component that you have a handle on your organization, you have a handle on the projects and they can turn to you and you're either providing dashboards or you're providing status or you're providing something. So they are going to look at you still as I need to know what's going on from a project perspective. So you've got to earn a little bit of that delivery credit. Right. right. Get you, done. Yeah. Right. To getting things done. But you also have to le- earn that credit of strategy, understanding where the business is going. I have recently helped drive a lot of strategy within our own organization. It was like, great. And we're right at the seat of the table across all the leaders driving where the strategy is going for the three year and the five year. So when you get a little bit of that credit and a little bit of that strategy conversations going on with your leadership, you do earn that seat. Right. And so mm-hmm. it's just part of it, but there, it does a lot of times come down to, are you delivering as well? Right. Mm-hmm. And so they are going to look from that, right. Not we can say be business and be strategy and stuff, but a lot of the leaders, the v, C levels or the VP levels or whatever the case may be, still look at you as you need to deliver. So mm-hmm. there's a balance there. Yes. And I think that just following from what Bill is saying, when it comes to delivery, it's important that we deliver not what we assume is important, but what we ask the business, what matters to them. As Laura was saying, it's not about us. I have the great ideas and therefore I'm going to implement a PMO. You should implement PMOs based on the needs of the business. The business is the master. So it needs to allow us, or we need to work with them to identify what are those drivers and from there, then deliver according to their expectations. Because I can build the best PMO in the world, but if no one wants it, if no one needs it internally, if no one understands the value of it, then what's the point? You can be very mature, but you are not being effective on your business, which is what matters the most. Right. Well, and it's interesting you say that because the best in whose eyes, right? So here's part of the challenge, I think, that is has definitely been shifting. And I think COVID just help that shift jump significantly. And that is in the eyes of whom, right? Because PMO leaders, many of them, they build their templates, their tools, their process, they perfected everything in the project life cycle and nobody cares, right? (laughs) And so the the challenge is that we've got to go back to the fundamentals of WIFM, the what's in it for me, right? (laughs) And we must, as PMO leaders, this is what I teach my students all the time. You must give them what they want before you can give them what they need. 
right? We have less and less and less time to get that seat at the table, earn credibility, show results, get things done, like Bill's saying, right? We have so much less time than we used to. You can't just take a year to just go off in behind the curtain and build a bunch of stuff and then come out and say, poof, here's your PMO. It's a much more iterative approach to value mm-hmm. delivery that, dare I say, is more of an agile mindset in value delivery in that the PMO has to be constantly engaging with the business leaders and answering the mail, like answering the questions they ask, giving them what they know that they want. The problem is a lot of times, and I made this mistake early on in my career, I'd built a few PMOs. And then over time, I would say, okay, now that I know going into this next organization, I already know what you need. I don't need to ask. I already know, right? Like I already know what you want. And the problem was, is that I was building what I thought they wanted. And it doesn't matter if I was right or wrong. I was wrong because I hadn't taken the time to ask the questions, build the stakeholder relationships, really help them not sell the PMO. I do not believe you should sell the PMO. The PMO's value needs to be completely obvious and evident based on doing what they want, right? They want their pain points solved, right? And I think that's where the challenge is, is a lot of us go in, especially if we've been doing it for a while and we think we know better than them and we think they should just get us and we need to completely flip that script and have a different conversation about what they want, what pain do they want solved and how can we as PMO leaders solve that, build credibility. And then from that credibility and from showing them, like Bill's saying, getting results, getting things done, delivering, then we can build that trust and say, okay, now it's time for us to address one of these other underlying challenges you really had that we couldn't even get to yet because we had to go stop the bleeding, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Let me just not counter, but let me just, I think you do have to sell. Mm -hmm. I've done 10 PMOs. I think you have to sell, right? Mm -hmm. I am constantly selling. I'm constantly putting new dashboards out, new processes out, new. Uh, you have to because you always have to pit, like you have to deliver. I totally get that. You have to have a seat at the table. But and when they're looking at cuts and they're looking at, hey, how do, what are we going to do? And how do we move this thing forward? There's mm-hmm. got to be the value that you're bringing. And so maybe it's not selling per se, but you've got to have your elevator speech. You've got to see this is what we're doing. We're running 90 extra projects. We're doing this. We're doing this. I mean, you there's a component of that. And when you don't constantly kind of get out there in front of people, they're like, I've ran 10 for a reason because nine other ones shut down. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. Right. And so I think there is a component of selling. But what do you think, I Marissa? I was just going to say, I don't disagree. Let's put it this way. <laughs> just because I think there's an element of selling, although I prefer to call it communicating the value. Yes. So understanding what yep. is the value yeah. that people want from us, living to that value, but then continuously communicating and reiterating the expectations, just to check if they are still being met or not, if we are still being relevant or not. Now we can call it selling because it's not at the same time. Yes, we are hoping to maybe gain more buy-in from others, expand even to other areas, but it's all let's say about communicating that value continuously, not so, letting people lose yeah, track and, of what they are doing. And there's downstream of impacts to that, right? If you're continuing your value, they're going to give you more FTEs, they're going to give mm-hmm. you more money, exactly. they're going to give you the larger, more complicated projects that they may have hired a consultant for. So there is a little bit of that. Maybe the right that's not the right term selling, but there is a little bit of that you being in front of your executive team to mm-hmm. get those downstream impacts. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. It doesn't need to be everything, uh, how do you say, singing and dancing and all right, the lights everywhere. Yeah. I yeah. think it's more important, even if you are just to uh, go back to your sponsor and say that you are in the middle of that roadmap or uh, you are showing, uh, I don't know, an amber status on the performance of the PMO because you don't have the resources or because there's an external factor. But trying to gain help from them, building the case for change by continuously communicating, I think mm-hmm. is the, one of the fundamental steps of the PMO value lifecycle. Yeah. I'll just comment on this. Maybe it's semantics. Maybe. I can tell you that my students that have been successful for a very long time, again and again, getting raises and promotions and bigger jobs and bigger roles and all of them having their seat at the table, do not sell the PMO because what they're doing, like Marissa's saying, is communicating the value. I like to think of it more like marketing. There is a need And there is something that can fill that need, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really combining the desires of the executives, the WIFM, what they want, what they want solved, what they want help with, and the way that the PMO can do that. So what I teach them is to really focus more on identifying that pain, communicating that pain back to their business leaders. And instead of selling or pushing the solutions, really focusing on what the world's going to look like for them once they see the results. So the outcome, the impact, the results, the way the world's going to look to them, that's more of a marketing and communications kind of conversation. So Bill, we're probably not very far off here, but there's a, yeah, I'm not looking at selling as a, as a bad thing though. Like, I don't think that word's a bad word because I don't see selling and marketing that different in the big scheme of things. Right. So, right. Well, I think the chief marketing officer and the chief chief of sales business (laughs) development officer would say that. (laughs) The moral of the story here, I think, for all of us is that what we're trying to do is help PMO leaders understand that the conversations that they need to be having is not push, push, push because you need my services, because you need my solutions. Instead, and this is, Bill, I think what you were saying is you've got to show value and continually have conversations with the business leaders all the time on here's the results we're helping you achieve. And a really important part of that that I think a lot of PMO leaders forget to do because they don't want to brag is they forget to take credit where credit is due, right? The huge wins, like Bill, you've been having huge wins in your PMO and especially during the COVID-19 global pandemic and your PMO has helped make big stuff happen. And you must take the opportunity to say, and we were behind this and here is how we helped the business move the needle, right? But it's a very different conversation than saying, well, we put process in place. We put dashboards in place. We Nobody cares. What they care about is that I have the information now to make educated, informed decisions to move the business forward quickly, right? What they care about is that they're getting the results. They're getting the outcomes. They're getting a return for their investment in time and energy and resources and all that. And I think that's my point in saying don't sell is that a lot of PMO leaders, when they sell, are pushing yeah. as opposed to showing, yeah. right? No, 100%. Yeah, they're pushing the tool or the... Yep, no, I totally yeah. get that. Yep, yeah. makes sense. Yeah, and, and that's you know, a big... And, I, big and, and you had said it earlier, I had made the same mistake, right? I had made the same right. mistakes of going in with the tools and going in with the, the project online, the Power yeah. BIs and stuff. And that is all good and that makes sense. But when you break it down to what are their business problems and having those business conversations, it right. just makes a fundamental shift and difference on how you run your PMO. Right. So it goes back to the, so what? You have this, yeah. this beautiful right. tool, yeah. you have this perfect process, so what? What does this gives me? as a business yeah. leader. 
But that's where organizational change management is so important, right? Right. Let's put a pin in that org change management for one second, because that's like a whole thing I think we should dive into. I want to ask you, though, because we're on kind of the topic of mistakes that PMO leaders are making, right? Can you all share, like, what are some of those? We're opening the kimono here and saying, look, we've made a lot of mistakes. Like, that's how we know so much, right? Let us, all of us, these global influencers in the PMO space, let us have made all those mistakes, share all the results with you so you know what to not do and what to do differently, right? We've all learned from those mistakes and we have the battle scars to prove it. So can you share like some of the big mistakes? We started here and Marissa, I'd like to start with you. Can you share some of the big mistakes that you made and what you would do differently now? I can share perhaps the one that stayed with me since the very beginning when I started because I was fortunate enough or lucky enough, if you want, even that I'm known as the lucky PM out there, to be have been given full authority to lead a PMO. It was a PMO for Portugal and Spain, so uh, two different countries, so members in uh, different areas as well. And I was given full authority to manage that one. I reported directly to the senior management team. And I was feeling very powerful. I think it's fair to say the way that uh, whatever the PMO said was to be followed. There were no questions asked. If you were not following the process, the practice, whatever it was, you would see that in your salary, actually. Mm -hmm. So there were consequences, accountability, indeed. I've never come across a company that was that rigid in the approach. But nevertheless, even for timesheets, for instance, we had to complete timesheets, all of us, because that's how invoices would be generated based on the billable work. And the rule was, unless you are in hospital, you need to complete your timesheets by Friday. Otherwise, Uh that will have an impact as well. I think that my biggest mistake was the lack of stakeholder or customer, as I like Mm. to call it, buying. (laughs) I was not the most, I was probably the most hated person in the company. (laughs) <laughs> because whatever I was reporting back to the senior leadership team had an impact on their day-to-day, what they would get at the end of the month. So um, that stakeholder buy-in, ensuring that uh, people knew that there was a reason for those practices to have been implemented and answering that, so what? So what will now happen with uh, those results? I think that was the, the lesson that, that always stayed with me and that's something that nowadays in my role as a consultant and as a trainer is one that I always like to emphasize that you need to build that engagement is all about engagement with others. Yeah, for sure. That's big on my list too. So I second that. Bill, what about you? Other mistakes you're willing to share? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So definitely went down the PMI, went down the tools and process path. But the biggest mistake is really around not focusing as much on the people and I've completely flipped on that. So I have 35 direct reports or something right now. I do one-on-ones. I do rounding with them. We've got leadership programs and mentoring programs and buddy programs. So really blowing out that relationship and understanding that this is a people business. This is just people. This is about relationships, both at the peer level and the folks that report to you. So biggest mistake is not treating your PMO like an organization as important Mm -hmm. as HR, as important as finance, and Mm -hmm. really building programs for your people. How do you move your people through their career paths? How do you get them the PMP or how do you get them the agile certification or whatever the case may be, but focusing on people has been a radical shift across last couple of PMOs. And it's really worked out well because you treat your PMO very differently. You treat it like an organization. Yeah. Just like finance would, just like HR would, just like IT would. Mm -hmm. So focusing on the people's is critical. 
So I just want to comment. Absolutely. Like to me, that's one of the biggest mistakes I see PMO leaders making is, and it's all tied into thinking we know better, thinking we don't need to yeah. talk to everybody, thinking that there's a lot of mistakes buried in that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And those can all be solved. And whenever I see students coming into me in, in our program that aren't investing that time, they always end up, for example, like our program, we have six steps in the process, right? Six phases you go through to set up a PMO or up-level your PMO. And early, very early, I have them investing a great deal of time on stakeholder engagement. And then what happens is if people try and rush through that and I'm like, "Mm, you need to slow down. You got to make sure you're doing all these steps in the process. They eventually come back and like, you were right. I don't know why I didn't listen to you. Now I'm having this problem, this problem, and this problem. And I'm like, each one of those problems, stakeholders not engaging, not inviting them to the meetings, not having the right conversations with them, not letting them have a seat at the table, not giving them support they need for all the services and capabilities they want to build out, like uphill battle again and again and again. It's like because you did not do that foundational work to build those stakeholder relationships. So I think that's a number one. I agree with you. And the second part of that is the second component of people. You're team is also stakeholders, right? They're also stakeholders in this process. They need to be developed. They need to be pulled in. They need to have a clear with them as to why they're engaging in all this. So I couldn't agree more. So I'm with you on the stakeholder stuff and on that being a huge mistake. What about maybe an opportunity? So we've been talking about like that there are these big opportunities for PMOs and we've talked about getting your seat at the table and engaging stakeholders and things like that. Is there maybe something different or new or a place, a trend you see coming with where PMO leaders might have a big opportunity? And I'll give an example. When the COVID-19 pandemic became a global pandemic, many PMO leaders were scrambling like, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? How do I keep building all my services and capabilities when the world's blowing up around me? And I was telling him that it was a big opportunity to pivot. And, and Bill, you've got perfect case study example of this mm-hmm. in the PMO you're running to pivot and stop doing the stuff that they were doing and shift their focus to what their business leaders needed help yeah. with in the moment and solve that, right? Are there other things like that coming? Like we all know that that created a great opportunity, but are there other opportunities coming maybe with hybrid or maybe with other business trends going on? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Marissa, I see you ready to jump on this one. <laughs> No, no, it's just I'm agreeing what what you are saying, Lars, just because I've seen it myself when the pandemic yep. hit exactly that yep. moment. I noticed that PMO started to look into different services, different areas. And I think it makes sense because it is an opportunity for us to elevate our profile. Those two things were in particular portfolio management and assurance. Now working remotely, what happened was that people were more concerned with the status of the projects, the health of the portfolio, but they are not there next to their peers, next to the, I don't know, the head of department, whoever those are, to ask. So ensuring that there is visibility, that there is assurance mechanisms in place is one of those areas. Mm-hmm. As for portfolio management, when the pandemic hits, some of my clients actually got their revenue streams cut or shut. Yeah. And they had to pretty much go back to their old portfolio and see where can they squeeze some budget what, 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 where are the resources being utilized? Are they being utilized efficiently or not? So I think that was a perfect moment for people to stop paying lip service to how to do proper portfolio management. And they were forced to now do portfolio management effectively. Yes. That created an opportunity for the PMO. And some of my clients, some of those PMOs actually are now gaining much more visibility in the organization as a consequence as well. 
because they've got a view of the world and everything that's going on, right? Because they answered the key pain points that Ah. the business was asking, assurance, and how do we solve this problem now that we don't have budget available, that we don't have resources, that they're all being moved into urgent COVID response projects, what do we do about the rest of the portfolio? So they had to immediately support that need, that pain point. As we were saying before, that's what PMOs are expected to do. So... Now that they were doing that, they gained uh, some more visibility as well internally, some more credibility, and they are seen as a service provider, as a partner of the business. Mm, that's good. That's good. Bill, what do you think? Well, yeah, so governance, right? We've yeah. had to really buckle down on governance and making sure we're doing the right projects for the business and they're yes. scored and appropriately. But what COVID has done and where we're at now is resource management has been a huge thing that we've had to buckle down. So when Marissa was talking about timesheets, we actually do timesheets. We have five years worth of timesheets across 700 or something people in the org, but what are they doing? And so now all of a sudden that they're working from home or and working remotely, it's all of a sudden we need to have a little bit more of what are they doing? What are they working on? And so we've really started to buckle down on timesheets, time tracking, allocation, resource allocation, because when they could see them at their desks and what didn't know what they were working on and they can't see them at their desk, all of a sudden now there's this new view of resource management. So I think that's an opportunity as well. I think we should really understand load balancing, especially if people are working longer, right? Yeah. They're not getting, they're not doing the buses in and the, they're not going for lunches. So now we need to really understand the load balance on people and resource management really helps with that. So how do you, before I'll, I'll share some thoughts on what I see opportunities as well, but I'm curious, Bill, because many PMO leaders are like, yes, I know we need to do this, but I get everyone fighting me tooth and nail about the timesheets and filling out data in the portfolio and all that all the stuff. And the real information is actually hiding somewhere on my desktop. How do you persuade? How do you show the people that are supposed to be filling out these timesheets that this is actually a good idea as opposed to micromanaging them? Yeah, no, we're, we got them filling it in. There's no question they fill it in. It's but right. where they put their time is the issue. Right. Ah. So they'll put them on ops plans or they'll put them under special project or whatever. Right. So it's around garbage in, garbage out. We do have them putting garbage in. Right. We do have them putting (laughs) the stuff in. But now we're starting to refine it with good reporting. But think about it. If you're saying you're overworked, you're overworked and you're asking for more resources, you're like, well, now you got to prove that. Right mm-hmm. now, you got to see, show us what your resources are doing. So, I luckily walked into a PMO that was already doing timesheets, mm-hmm. but we've been tightening up what they're putting their time on and where they're putting mm-hmm. their time and getting rid of those thesis and those, hey, this, this is my domain and these are my people. They're really right. not. They're the people of the organization and we need to know what they're working on. Right. But COVID right. and this remote work has really kind of exposed that a lot. Because people are working longer and we need to highlight a little bit better what they're doing. Mm-hmm. That's great. So I guess sometime last year, I believe I released a podcast called Start with PPM, trying to say, start with project portfolio management and here's why, right? And it touched on the resources and being able to answer the business questions, et cetera. And so I totally agree that big picture, resource management, portfolio management, all of these things, which are really technically at the front end of the process mm-hmm. are where more opportunities lie. And that's one thing yeah. that I want to share that's a little bit different and it's looking at 
where people are spending their time now as PMO leaders and where there are better opportunities. So for example, when PMO leaders are hired, oftentimes they're being hired because projects are taking too long. Projects are costing too much. The project process is broken. Project management's broken. We don't have good, well-trained project managers, right? Like that's normally what we hear when the PMO leader gets hired. Not all the time, but normally it's those kind of things, right? So what does the PMO leader do? They jump in trying to fix the project management. They jump in trying to fix by adding more templates, more tools, more process, fixing process, even if they're doing it well, streamlining the process, getting project managers trained. And what's interesting is many, in many cases, that doesn't actually make things happen better. Meaning they fix the project process, the project management, the project managers, they got all the best trained, they got all the best process, they got all the tools, and still projects are taking too long, costing too much. And what's actually happening is that they were putting a Band-Aid on a symptom as opposed to an underlying root cause. The PMO is hired to fix what they think, the business leaders think the problem is because they don't actually want to dig into where the real problems lie. And that's Mm -hmm. at the front end of the process. And what both of you all are hinting at here is usually where the problems are is, well, we started all 643 projects on January 1st this year. And we assigned all of our subject matter experts to 18 projects at once. And we are saying everything is number one priority. And like the list goes on and on and on. We have a broken front end of our process. And I think that's what a lot of PMO leaders are missing as an opportunity. They think, well, I was hired to fix project management. I'm going to go fix that. And then things don't drastically improve. They lose credibility. The business leaders are unhappy. Results aren't changing. Outcomes aren't getting better. Return on investment doesn't get better. And it's because they were actually focused on the thing that maybe could have used 10 to 20% improvement, where what really is the big problem is the business leaders themselves that have bad habits and they don't have the information they need to make educated, informed decisions, or they have that information and then they are still blindly because they don't know any better, assigning so many resources to so many projects that it's a disaster on the front end, right? Prioritization is not happening. Good project selection isn't happening. So you've got a bunch of pet projects that have no business being done really good strategic alignment with the projects to the business strategy isn't happening. So people don't know why they're doing the work they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, I could go on and on, right? Mm -hmm. And you all are like jumping in, like, here's the answer, right? And, And so what I wanted to do is take a step back and say, and this is why that's the answer, because the really big problems are actually before the project has ever started. Yeah. Right. The real big problems. Yeah. yeah. No, that Laura, that's awesome. And they're actually the bigger problems is before the PMO manager is hired. Right. 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 But but look at the catch 22 that the PMO manager is in. Right. Right. He or she has come in because they said, solve this problem, solve this problem. So, of course, their first thing they're going to go to is solving the problem of what they were hired for. Right. Then they have to make this pivot to, oh, no, 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 now I need a seat at the table. Now I need a seat right. at the table. Well, if you haven't solved that problem very well, it's going to be much harder to get that seat at the table. So right. the problem is even before they even get through the door, they're right. already behind. 
So, but once you do this a little bit more and you've gone through this a little bit more, you can go, hold on. I get that that's a big problem, but you've got front end problems, exactly what you were just calling out. But that takes time and experience. And that's not something you can do overnight, right? That's something that you grow as you get more experience in the field to be able to have that conversation. Right. Because you don't even know that that's what it is. But here's where I'm thinking. So here's a slight shift on that is that I still think it needs to be the first thing you do because you will lose credibility if you're fixing, fixing, fixing the wrong Mm -hmm. things as opposed to getting them to the root cause. So here's Mm -hmm. the mistake business leaders make is they try to tell you the solution when they have no idea what the solution is. They don't know project management. They don't know the PMO. And frankly, they're probably the problem, right? So instead, we need to coach PMO leaders to help them ask different questions. Instead of what do you want me to solve or what should the PMO do? They don't know actually, because they're not PMO leaders. They don't know what we're supposed to do, but what they do know and what they are experts in is their pain, right? So if you can get them talking about your pain, their pain, the pain they have, which is, I don't have the information I need to make decisions. I don't know what people are doing. Why does it seem like nothing gets, if you can get them to just stay focused on their pain, then you can say, okay, Would you like some help with that? Because I can solve that for you. And then skip to here's what the world's going to look like as a result. Instead, a lot of PMO leaders are selling the solution instead of explaining that they're going to help them get to the outcome and staying focused on that pain. Then the PMO can say, you know what? There are absolutely some symptoms here, but the root cause is actually, and you can show it by having a good resource dashboard, that we have resources allocated 450%. Yeah, yeah. Oh no, there's definitely a tool aside to it down the yeah. line, but you yeah. wouldn't start with that. No, 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 definitely don't yeah. start with the tool. But I was, yeah. I mean, honestly, you can do, it's painful, but you can do a lot of this stuff in spreadsheets early. Yeah. I never tell my students to start with tools because if yeah. they do, they're going to lose people in the technology yeah. and in the automation, as opposed yeah. to getting the problem solved, yeah. but you can do it with, listen, I've done it on whiteboards. Like here's your people. Let's take yeah. one portfolio. Look at your people, look at the projects, look at the allocation. And can you start 45 things at exactly the same time? No. Well, your people can't either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Marissa, what do you think? Uh, no, I agree. I was just thinking of a, an actual example of yeah. looking to the wrong problem, trying yeah. to uh, or understanding that it was, so that it could be a solution. So I have a recent client who were engaging with us as a consultant to look into their governance. And they were thinking that they needed to do much more agile governance. So looking into agile methods, uh, having agile teams and so on. And actually talking with different stakeholders, diagnosing a a bit more. We then realized that actually that was not the problem at all. The problem was just that they were doing incorrect resource management. So they were screaming for agile because they couldn't find resources anywhere because the resources were being poorly allocated to projects. And so it, it took a while to actually make them realize that actually that could be a solution, but not to this problem. So we need to go back to the root cause and fix that first and seeing also why the culture that you have is not helping in getting right. us there. And then we'll focus on the other problems. But a real example of what you were saying there. That's perfect. I love how you said that may be a solution, but not to this problem. That's a really mm, good. All yeah. of you listening. Well, as a consultant, I need to keep my options open. Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. what else is, are, can be the factors that are driving that situation? It's very rare for, a, at least in my experience, for a problem to just have a single cause. Uh, right. There's one that is more predominant, but usually there are other factors around it that lead to that result. So right. uh, let's uh, tackle one problem at a time but focusing on that one that is causing the pain right now. 
Right. The underlying root cause of the problem. And I like how you said consultant. And I want to touch on that for a minute because all the PMO leaders listening, you might be thinking, yeah, but I'm not a consultant. But I would argue that Bill is probably just as much a consultant as the two Mm -hmm. of us are, because that is your job is to be a consultant to the business. Right, Bill? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, you have to. You have to bring your experience, your background, and you have to bring that. Hey, wait a minute. Let's look at this as a big picture, as a consultant would. Right. Let's right. step back. Let's not be so focused in on this particular issue. Let's let's think big. Let's think strategy. Oh, I love it. I love it. So, Mercy, you touched on agile. So I'd like to go there <laughs> if that's OK. Can we go there from a yeah. PMO perspective? So I want to just share a thought on this and then I'd love to hear your thoughts on agile and if it's a part of the PMO and if it's not a part of the PMO and all of that. I I will say one thing. I do not believe a PMO should be defined by their implementation methodology. Right. (laughs) There shouldn't be an agile PMO, just like there shouldn't be a waterfall PMO. And I remember, Bill, back Mm -hmm. when you and I both shared the stage back at Project Con years ago, that was one of the big things Jesse and I talked about in our keynote is you don't want the PMO to be defined by waterfall. Right. Right. Because everyone's like, ah, PMO takes too long and there's too much process and all this. Right. So the same thing, you wouldn't want it to be defined by any implementation methodology. It's much more than that. And agile, frankly, is much more than that. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on agile in the PMO, agile helping with agile transformation, who owns that, like, because there's this big thing going on like this, which Bill, you know, Jesse and I made fun of in our keynote, right? So talk to me about that. What are you all seeing and where should we be on this? And what's the role of the PMO? So first of all, I just want to disclaimer, I don't believe in that black and white view of the world of projects or PMOs at all. I think there's waterfall or predictive ways of working, traditional, as someone claimed. We always had some principles of agility involved in it. That's how properties should be run, regardless of what you call it. Right. And then at the same time, the more agilistic view of the world, I think, can also benefit from some of the structures, some of the guidance mm-hmm. from the more traditional, once again. So there are benefits in combining both. Now, in my experience, I see more and more PMOs trying to be more agile, sometimes for the wrong reasons, as I was explaining mm-hmm. before. So seeing it as a solution, but not understanding what really is the problem that they are trying to solve. Right. But in some organizations as well that I work with, they are actually now making the move, not just focusing on agile as a delivery method, but bringing that mindset to the whole organization. So mm-hmm. more and more, I see PMOs being involved in agile transformations and leading the way there. So guiding by example, doing it first in their own team, their own departments, and then supporting others in that that role. And by supporting others, I mean providing guidance, assisting with the the business leaders as well, with with that mindset, working with agile coaches. So being part of the team rather than being us versus them. Right, right, for sure. So in your view, it's not really like one or the other, or there should be two separate nope. things. The PMO has a really important role in helping to bring change in the organization, exactly. agile transformation included. Uh-huh. They should be the best friend of the agile coach, the scrum master, whatever you want to call it, because mm-hmm. we are all in it together. It's ultimately, is that so what or the why? Why are we doing this? And right. how can the PMO support it? So if you look into the main objectives of the different teams, the different roles, we are all going for the same key one. So we just right. need to help each other. That's great. I love it. Bill, what do you think? 
Yeah. So medical, right? So right now I'm in medical. And so that's not something coming. So it's coming, but it's a slower draw, right? So if we're building facilities, we're building large wings of a hospital, we're not doing agile. Sorry. It's just not going to happen. Right. But we, I love that agile mindset. And those are the types of things that we are doing. We are trying to bring agile mindset to it. We, I gather my leadership every day and we have a quick sync of what's going on, what's happening, right? So that mindset shift, but we do have to look at the type of projects. If we right. are taking computers out of nursing stations, six, 700 computers, and we're replacing HPs to XYZs or whatever, right? We can't do that in an agile fashion. Sure, we could do it by the floor. Yeah. We could force agile there. But yeah. in this medical environment, it's not. It's a little bit slower of a draw because mm-hmm. we're working with nurses and doctors and operating rooms and all that stuff. It's just not set up necessarily for agile, but we're trying with that mindset. We love the agile mindset, but it's got to be the right place, right time. But we'll try to get there, right. but a little bit slower. Right. The Agile Manifesto, for those of you watching that have not read it, just go Google it. It's pretty yeah. straightforward. And what it speaks to is we favor this over that, right? And so as an example, collaboration is at the forefront of the conversation in the Agile Manifesto and in the Agile mindset, right? And so I'm with Marissa that, listen, in the 90s, when I first started doing project management, we were using Agile techniques and agile approaches and definitely an agile mindset to everything we're implementing because the big takeaway for me and there's a lot of different components to this but one of the big takeaway is i like to say iterate your way to awesome right or iterate your way to the goodness to the impact and also engagement with stakeholders which we talked about is so critically Mm -hmm. important right so constant engagement communication keeping everyone a part of the process not waiting until you're finished in order to have input and feedback, we're doing some rebranding work and website stuff for our business. Do you think I'd want to wait, give my requirements, then wait all the way to the end to see what things look right. like? No way, right? right like right. you want to iterate your way there, right? And with our Impact Engine PMO program, it's an agile approach to implementing PMO mm-hmm. capabilities because, and this is where I think it goes back to our stakeholders and understanding them, business leaders do not have the patience to wait for a year for or to see anything out of the PMO that they just funded, right? They want to see constant value delivery. So how can you break down all of your big picture ideas for all the wonderful things you want to do for the PMO, really focus on some of those big pain points the business leaders identified and give them what they want first, then keep iterating your way to the higher impact over time. So I think what I'm teaching my students anyway, and what we've been talking about is that there's no us in them with the PMO versus agile. They should be one in the same. And what I mean by that is whether you have a separate department that does agile or you have an agile coach or you have something the organization wants to switch to, I think it's all about fit for purpose and the PMO's Mm -hmm. role in helping the organization deliver on change, regardless of what that change is, right? So the PMO should be there. If the business strategy is to have a more iterative approach to value delivery for the whole organization, great. Agile techniques and mechanisms can get you there. And 
what can the PMO do to help ensure that that strategy is delivered? That's, yeah. I mean. The issue that we're seeing with Agile, and it's, it's not there yet, is it's still IT representing the business. Represented, yeah. Right, and right. that's the problem, right? We had that yeah. at Microsoft. It was, we represented you, we represented you, right? No, like yeah. you want, if you're gonna do this, you gotta buy in and everyone's gotta buy in the business right. or operations, or whatever included in that. Right, right. So it's oh, that right. representing is why, we still struggle. We have Wagile or Waterfall, or we have that merge scenario because we don't have the business and operations engaged yet. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. So speaking of that, speaking of not having like the organization, so the PMO has a role in helping the organization deliver on change. Yet many of our PMOs don't have a lot of experience in their teams with organizational change management or understanding the importance of organizational change management in the role that they have in the PMO. So can you all share your thoughts about organizational change management in the context of the PMO and what the PMO's role should be and what PMO leaders have an opportunity to do? I was just going to say, uh, answering your question or your comment, if they don't, they should. Yeah. We are in talent war now. <laughs> yeah. So either you have that those competencies or you are going to be out of the business very soon. And organizations, it's all about change, change happening all the time. Projects are about change. So the PMO should be a, a change agent themselves, not just by leading by example, as I was saying before, but also by supporting others in driving and delivering that change. Definitely a competency that PMOs should seek in their teams. Mm-hmm, for sure. Bill, what do you think? Yeah, 100% agree. We are all in. If I could reverse my career 30 years, I would say, ProSci, where were you 30 years ago? Exactly. Or Connor or Cotter or something, right? Because yeah. we're all in. We're actually getting one of our managers, ProSci, trained to train mm-hmm. the trainer. We're, every project manager is going through ProSci training. We're incorporating okay. it into our methodology. We love it. We love it because it's all around adoption rates. And you think about delivering a new system to a doctor or to a nurse or something, they're so busy, they do not have time. We have to get that buy-in. It's tremendous around adoption. And mm-hmm. so we are all in feet first. We're diving into it. We absolutely love it. And we're going pro side. We're going ad car model. That's great. You know, and it's this kind of brings us back to where we started with all of this, because you'll see that we're really weaving organizational change management through everything we've talked about here today. Because if you look at ProSci, and I'm ProSci certified as well, I did that years ago, actually, when I, before I started PMO strategies, when I was running a PMO, that was when we all got trained. And what PMO leaders must understand, I think, on all of this is that if you look at something like the ADCAR approach, it's all about stakeholder engagement. It's all about the people. They say that the number one factor in determining success or failure of a change initiative is sponsor engagement, right? And we in the old school project management space say that, well, it's communication. If we don't have communication, well, who are we talking to? Our stakeholders, right? So it's it's all the same. If we don't have strong relationships with our stakeholders, if we don't have a good education and understanding of how to bring people with you through the change process and do change with them instead of to them, right? Like if people run in the other direction when they see your PMO coming, it's because PMO leaders, you're not bringing them with you through the change process and you're shoving change at them instead of doing it with them and making it about what they want. All the things we talked about here today 
really come down to how are you effectively, and Bill's training his whole team so that they yep. can be effective in mm-hmm. bringing people with you through that process. So I think it's interesting that we're landing on that question because yeah. that's really threaded through every single thing we've been talking about here today is it's all about doing the right things by the business, bringing people through change and making a real impact. So- well, no, it is funny because where was it 30 years ago, right? Because projects yeah. failed, right? I mean, where was this concept of change and why has it come up so strong so recently, right? It is really kind of an interesting because the, we've been doing projects for hundreds and hundreds of years and the same people would be adopting and accepting those projects and we saw all those failure rates. So I don't know, for some reason, it's starting to get and really get some momentum going on it. And it's so important around adoption. So, so I would say that the people that were naturally good at it, what they did well got codified. Yeah, That's what I think happened because people were good at it. And you know, those superstars, right? You two were probably amongst that list of the superstars that that your business leaders would say, I know you can help me do this because you just have what it takes. Right. I think they codified that and it turned it into like the ad car model. For example, they figured out these were the secrets. Right. And that's, I think what all of us do, Bill, you write books and Marissa, you are teaching consulting on this PMO stuff all the time. We have all things with the podcast and the impact engine. PMO program, we're all codifying the success world for PMO leaders, right? I think that's the same thing is that, and each one of us, I can guarantee each one of us has that strong thread of change management through everything that we're teaching and doing ourselves, right? Yeah. Oh, it's so important. So before we wrap up here really quickly, I just wonder if you all want to just, and I know I'm just throwing this out there. Is there any last words of wisdom or advice that you have for PMO leaders to help them on their journey and help them make a bigger impact? Is there anything in particular you think just one little tidbit of advice as we wrap up here today? Who wants to go first? Work on relationships uh, yeah. <laughs> that has been emphasized during our talk, but nevertheless, no one destroys what one helps to build. If you co-create the PMO with others, you have higher chances of success. Yes, so amen. My, my tip. Bill, yeah. go ahead. I'm going to jump on it and uh, say people, people, right, is really build those people programs, really treat your organization like an organization. You're no different than a finance leader, an HR leader, or an IT leader. And when you have that mindset, you're going to approach your PMO very differently. Yes. So amen to all of that. And I guess just not to be redundant, I'll say a little bit kind of different twist, which is understand your why, not just why you want to do something, but why the PMO is there and how you can help take the organization and your own mindset and focus from outputs thinking to outcomes thinking. And it all kind of wraps up with the why. If you really ask, why are we here? Why did the business leaders hire us? Why are they having these pain points? You dig and dig and dig. You will find the secrets to earning your seat at the table super quickly by shifting the way you think about your role and knowing that your why is not to build templates, tools, and process. You might need them, but your why is to help the organization deliver on its strategy with the highest impact possible, getting them to that return on investment, no matter what that looks like for them. So I think that's, and you have to do that through all the people. That's right. <laughs> well, so thank you. Thank you so much. I am thank so you. honored to be able to share the virtual stage with two of the top global PMO influencers in the thank world. You. Thank you so much. Congratulations again and more to come soon. Great. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye for now. Bye. 
Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this special episode where I got to share the stage with two of the other top global PMO influencer of the year finalists to talk about what's to come with PMOs in 2022 and beyond. If you love what you are hearing in these episodes, make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player, download these episodes so they are with you no matter where your PMO journey takes you, and that you leave us a rating and review to let us know how we are helping you make a bigger impact with your PMO. Bye-bye for now.